I'd actually like just to open up with prayer today before we start, guys. Father, we just thank you once again that we can come to your house, be among your people, to learn from your son and learn from your word. I pray that your spirit teaches us today, that your spirit is present, that you remove any any hindrances or strongholds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might learn how to pray, how to pray prayers that glorify your name, that we might know you more, that we might find more joy in you, and ultimately, we might bring more glory to you. Amen. I'd like to open up by asking you guys this question. What should we pray for above all else? We pray for many things, and many of them are great. But we see through the life of Jesus that he prayed so many prayers. His heart was to bring glory to his Father in heaven. We see his mission was to bring glory to his Father in heaven. God made us for his glory. I know that's not an easy thing to understand in our culture where everything's so me, 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 get everything you ever wanted, have every dream fulfilled. But God made us for his glory to be worshipers of him. Man has chose to make other gods and worship other gods and serve other gods. Many times we make ourselves our own God. Jesus came to remove that. He came to destroy that. He came to reconcile us back to the Father so that we could bring glory to the Father. And some might say, well, that, that sounds like a selfish God. Not at all. You will find the most joy in your life when you are worshiping God for who he is. It will bring the most fulfillment. We try to chase so many other things and find pleasure in things of this world. But only God, only when we worship God, only when we glorify God, are we in our right place and find true joy. Now, Jesus prayed many prayers asking that he might bring glory to his Father in heaven. I just want us to think about this one in the introduction. It's very simple and short prayer, which really fits this message. He said, Father, glorify your name. Now, let me give you a little context here. He was thinking about going to the cross where he would have to suffer, where he'd have to be ridiculed, where he'd be mocked, where he would have to take on our sin. And he said, Father, glorify thy name, basically saying thy will be done. And what's beautiful is the Lord responds to this prayer. And he said he, you, that the Lord spoke and he said, I have glorified my name. And I will do it again. What we see here is both the heart of Jesus, one to glorify the Father who is in heaven, and we see the intent and the will of God. Jesus wants to glorify his Father above all. His life glorified God above all. We are here because Jesus lived a God-glorifying life. He prayed God-glorifying prayers. And the Father says, I have glorified my name. And I will do it again. Because that is the purpose and the intent of creation. That's why we were created. And this is a great thing. 
when I was studying this and working through this, I found myself overjoyed. Because I know how empty it is to try to find pleasure in other things. I know how beautiful and wonderful and fulfilling it is when I pray and I worship and I commune with God. So today what we're really going to see is Jesus pointing us in the direction of God glorifying a God-centered prayer life. Today we will learn how not to pray. Jesus is going to give us a few examples how we shouldn't pray. He's going to tell us where we should pray and why we should pray there. He's going to tell us how long we should pray. And above all else, he's going to tell us what we should pray for. If there's anyone we want to learn from in regards to prayer, it's Jesus. I've never felt more inadequate on preaching on a subject than prayer. It's something I'm on a journey with you guys trying to figure it out. Oftentimes, having to go back to being like a child. All this time, I thought I would have to be like um, a master of discipline Walk around like a Jedi Knight. Now I'm realizing I have to be more like a child and come trusting, depending on my Father. So let's just read this first verse. We're going to start with Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in synagogues and at street corners, that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. And for those who don't know who the Pharisees are, they were ancient religious sect who adhered to the law. They were the religious leaders of the time. And so everyone would look to them as their example of how to pray. So they look at these religious leaders who are praying in the synagogues, in the temple, in the street corners, and they would think that's how you should pray. Then you have Jesus who comes along, this other rabbi. And basically, he spends a majority of his ministry saying, don't be like these guys. This is not how you do it. Don't be like them. What had happened with the Pharisees is their heart was far from God. They turned into worshipers of God to worshipers of man. They would pray prayers to be commended by their neighbor and to be commended and praised by the people. It became more of a performance where they blow the trumpets and say, here he comes, the great rabbi and he'd wear the right stuff and say the right religious phrases and what happened was he'd go way up here and everyone else would be way down here and they'd say man i gotta be like that then you got jesus who comes along and says absolutely not do not pray like this they were so hungry for the praise of man that matthew henry had a great quote he says even as their eyes were towards heaven They had one eye looking down on their prey. Their prey was the sea man so that they would praise them so that they could control them. And we see that we love, they loved the praise of man in a few different ways. One, they loved to pray in the synagogues. So they got all done up. They get well rested the night before. They practice their prayers and say, wait till everyone hears this prayer. Wait till I get up. They're going to think I'm really holy. And they would pray in front of the religious folk. And they'd impress the religious people. And they would receive praise. They love to pray in the synagogues, in public places. I've had some of my worst experiences with prayer in church. I know that sounds like a funny, funny thing. I have so many stories. God's been good to me. He's given me a lot of crazy stories I can share from the pulpit. But I'm going to share this one with you. 
I was at a men's meeting. There was about 30 dudes in one of the older churches I attended. <clears throat> and we were praying. A lot crazier prayer than some of us may ex- have ever experienced. Some of us may have experienced. You get a few brothers praying in tugs. You get some bro- brothers playing in English. There's no set format. Everyone's just in the room. It was a Pentecostal church. And so there was a, a pastor's son who was now coming of age. He was getting about 20 years old. And I really have a heart for pastor's son. I, 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 sons, I hate to see the pressure that's put on them, that they need to be or act a certain way or pray a certain way or preach a certain way. And I could see that the pressure was building up on this young man. I was a young man, too, at the time. And so it was his time to pray. I don't know how, but it was his time to pray. He stepped into like a middle, into the middle of the room. All of a sudden, the, the, everyone like gathered in a circle. And I said, what's going on? And I backed up into the circle. <laughs> it turned into like a WWF main event. People were, I, I saw the macho man was in the corner. You know what I mean? God rest his soul. He didn't get his due. He was one of the best entertainers there ever was in wrestling. But it turned into this WWF main event. Where before you know it, people weren't praying to God. They were cheering for him. He got down on one knee. Fists were out. He was blowing the rooftop off the place. He was calling down the sun, the moon, the stars in the sky. And I said, I felt bad for him. I really felt bad for him. That he felt that this was what prayer was. Prayer was a performance to be done in public. That we come to, for people to see how great we are, how great we can pray. It was a sad thing to see. Now the Pharisees loved to pray in these places. They, not, they didn't want to just pray in the middle of the street. They wanted to pray on the corner. Because you know what happens on the corner? You get people from both ways who can see you. They want to pray at the intersection at the Melrose site. So you have the chance of four ways people can come who can praise you. You've got a better chance that they're going to come up and, the, and glorify you. They love to pray in public places to be praised by man. And the scary part about it is they receive their reward. That's what the scripture tells us right here. It's not like they don't get praised by man. They receive the reward. So people are coming up left and right. Man, you can pray. I want to pray like you. How do you pray? Sign my Bible. So they get, that's the scary part of it. And we live a culture that we have to be so careful about the praise of man. And just because people are doing it and the churches are huge and they, <clears throat> they're on TV or they have a great website does not mean that they're praying or preaching the way that Jesus taught Because you can receive your reward. You can have 5,000 followers on 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 Twitter and still be far away from communing with God and praying right. I fear for many pastors and, and many of us and try to keep myself in check because we have social media. And I get scared when a pastor tweets every prayer, every thought, every testimony, and every number. I really do, because I believe Twitter can become and has become at times the modern-day street corner for the modern-day Pharisee. We have to be very careful with these things. And why would we want to receive this reward? 
It feels good for a second. You know, when someone praises you, you get puffed up, get a little barrel chested, you feel good. I can preach, I can pray, they think I'm religious. It is the most empty reward you will ever receive. It's like a drug. Where instead of praying so that God will hear you, so things will change, people will be saved, and his name will be glorified, I'm praying, worrying about that they think that was a good prayer. It is the most empty reward. You'll get filled for a moment when people praise you, shake your hand, and say, What a prayer. Then you'll empty out and you'll need your next fix. You do not want to steal the glory or the affections that were made for God. You do not want to take them for yourself. You want to point people towards giving their glory, their affections, their time, their energy, their prayer to God. So we go on. Jesus says, so he's saying right now, you do not want to pray in these places. And listen, Jesus is not saying some legalistic, non-grace-filled, death-giving thing here. He's not teaching us we can't pray in front of people. He prayed in front of people. He's not teaching us we can't pray in church. He prayed in the synagogue. He's not teaching us that. He's doing what he always does as the great preacher he is. He's challenging the motivations of our heart. So that we might come out of darkness and go into light. So he's going to tell us now where we should go and why we should go there. So if we read verse 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is such a good text. My daughter highlighted it. You know, Kara loves the Lord's Prayer. So he's tell, where does he tell us to go? He says, go into your room. Why is he telling you to go into your room? Because it's a private place where you won't be tempted by the praise of man. Where you won't be tempted by people seeing you or wanting to, to do it for any other reason but to commune with God. He even goes as far as to say, shut the door. This is how concerned Jesus is. Don't even go in the room. And have your mom, dad, son, daughter, brother, sister go by that they might think you're spiritual. Shut that door so nobody knows. So you won't be tempted to do it for any other reason but to bring glory to God and to know your father. Now, does it have to be your room? Is that the only place we can pray? And we understand we're always, Jesus is preaching this as an example. What he's saying is go into a private place. This could be different for you guys. Your prayer room might be your car. My wife loves praying in the car when she's going to work. Because there's no kids. She can put on her music. She can pray to God. She can be herself. She can know God. And she loves that. That, It could be the car for you. It could be the office. Maybe you can shut the door in your office. And you can pray. And you can have time to commune with God. And pray to your Father in heaven. It could be the lake. For me, it's the Wakefield Lake sometimes. I, you know, when everyone's home, I, you know, sometimes I go early and I take a walk down the lake or a late night. And people say, well, there's not a door on the lake. If they see you praying down the lake, they're not going to think good of you. They're going to think you're nuts. Happened to me the other day. I was praying and someone caught me. You ever get caught praying? <clears throat> and I felt like, oh, man, they're going to think you're crazy. But you need to find a place where 
you are not motivated by the praise of man. This is the point here. Why should we go to these places? This is so important what the scripture says here. Because that's where the father sees. And that's where the father is. The reward in prayer is that we get to commune with the father. Matt Moran put up a beautiful quote that I can't say verbatim. But he said that's the reward. The reward is that we get to be heard and know the Father, God, our creator. There is nothing greater than that. Some of my greatest prayer times have come with my Father. And he teaches me that he loves me. And he transforms me. And he shapes my soul. And he causes me to pray prayers that are effective. And you know that you are loved by God. This is where the Father is. He's in the quiet. He's in the secret place. This is where we'll come to know God and be heard by God. Now, how long do we have to pray when we're in that quiet place? Many times we think we've got to pray a certain amount of time to be heard. When that's not part of any of our relationships. Does our wife require 20 words for us to speak to her? Oh, we feel like I'm not talking to my child unless I got five or more words to say. It's the same with the true and living God. He's not looking for the amount of words we have to say. He's looking for the heart of what we're saying and the understanding of the grace that has been poured out on our life. He never warns against short prayer, if you notice that. Never once did Jesus say, don't pray too short. I mean, a a big thing we were growing up, there was a scripture in the Bible where Jesus wept. We thought it was great that that was the shortest verse in the Bible. Short prayers are great. They're great. He's warning against long words and vain repetition. Let's read verse 7 and 8 together. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So the heathens would think they would be heard in their prayer life for many words. I don't know if anyone knows the story of Mount Carmel, of Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. So I'll give you a little context. There's 450 prophets of Baal who worship a false god. And there's Elijah, the one true prophet. They have a showdown, a battle of the prophets. Where they're going to say, who's ever God burns this altar with fire is the true God. We're both going to pray for it. We'll see who serves the true and living God and who is the true living God today. So there's 450 prophets of Baal. The multitudes gather. This is a showdown, like a UFC event. Everyone's watching. They want to see what's going on. It says all day and all night, the prophets of Baal prayed with many, many words, thinking that they'd be heard, that God was made in their image, that they'd be heard for their many words. They even went as far as cutting themselves. All day and all night. And nothing happened. Elijah mocks them with, with some of the great, greatest mockery I've ever heard in the Bible. He says, what, does your God go in the bathroom? Is he relieving himself? He wasn't religious. It's just some beautiful stuff going on here. But they're praying and think they'll be heard for their many words. 
Elijah kind of gives the basically, are you done? He goes up, he says, soak this thing down. Not once, not twice, but three times. A point is going to be made today. And if we can go to the Old Testament, I want you to just read these three verses with me. Actually, these four verses. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36 through 39. What Elijah is going to do right now is pray a God-centered prayer. A God-glorifying prayer. He doesn't pray that all the prophets would see that he's the greatest prophet. He doesn't pray that the multitudes will worship him. He prays that the name of the Lord will be glorified. It says, at the time of the offering of oblation. Now, I didn't check if I pronounced that word right with Justin or Matt before, but we're hoping for the best. Elijah the prophet came there and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, that I have done these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord He is God. The Lord, he is God. Do you see what happened here? He prayed that God would be glorified. God is glorified. And we see that by the response of the people. They did not glorify Elijah. They said, the Lord, he is God. That's beautiful. And the reason I'm going this direction, because I believe this is the direction that Jesus is going in. He's taking us from self-glorifying prayer prayer that's focused on man to be exalted by man to God-glorifying prayer that will hallow the name of the Father. And let's read the the Lord's Prayer one more time. It's important that we see that he says, do not pray like that. Pray like this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Many people look at these petitions and they want to break them up into two parts. The first three are for the glory of God and the second three are for our joy. That's fine, but I think it's better explained this way. One and five. The whole point of the prayer is the first petition. Hallowed be your name. May your name be glorified. And the rest of the petitions support or pursue that petition. But let's start first with our Father. Now, Jesus is teaching us how to relate to God. We should relate to him as our Father. Now, this is tough in our culture. Because we have much brokenness, we have much divorce, we have fatherless families, we have motherless families. So some of us might have trouble relating to God as Father or making Him into the image of our earthly fathers. So the fact that we are adopted by God, the doctrine of adoption, that's not a, that doesn't excite us. Now, if you're 
there may be some great adoptions. Some people may have great stepmoms, great stepdads, been adopted. They loved you. They care for you. I'm so happy for that. But if you're like me, you had a bad experience with adoption. Okay? I was adopted by a stepfather when I was six years old. I took his name. I had prayed for a father. I had hoped for a father. And when I took his name, when I was legally made his child, I thought that that meant he would treat me like I was his. It didn't work out that way. It went as far to one day he said, you're not my son, so I don't care anyways. So all my fears had come true. I wasn't looked at as his child. He didn't look at me that way. This is not that type of adoption. You are a child of God if you have put your faith in Jesus. Nothing is going to tear you out of his hands. You're not going to commit some sin where he says, I'm done with you, and you would never really mind anyways. You're not going to have too much weakness where you're not allowed to bear his name. He will never let you go. It is finished. You are his. And there's certain privileges that come with that. When you have a father who's going to provide and protect you, you now are a child of God. You bear his name. You have a father who will correct you because he loves you. And he wants to see you transformed into the image of his son. You have a great inheritance. Eternal life. In a kingdom that we can't really do justice to by trying to explain. You are praying to your father. And that's how prayer has to start. You knowing that you are loved by God because he loved you. And he has bought you with a price. That's the beauty of the gospel. But then we get into the first petition. Where it says pray, hallowed be your name. Of course, we want to approach in prayer. We want to say, God, you are merciful. You are holy. We understand that. But also, we are saying, God, let your name be glorified in my life, in my family's life, in my community's life, in my city's life, in this world. That is what you want to pray for above all else. And everything else falls into place. So how does that look? I pray that God will be glorified in my life as an individual. God is so glorified when we understand the weight of the gospel and we understand how great of a sinner we are and how holy of a God he is. That glorifies God when we recognize this. When I look around and I see everyone worshiping God, singing a worship song that gospel-centered, God is glorified and I enjoy it. He's glorified in us. Also, our deeds should reflect That our Father is the one and true God. In Luke it says, do your good works before men that you might glorify your Father in heaven. We should pray that we are changed and transformed and sanctified. So our actions, so our deeds, so our life, so our conversation glorifies God. That people may see us and it might bring glory to God. Our life, our time, our finance, our energy, everything should go. That should be our life aim. We should be praying for that. What I try to pray over my children constantly, above all else, above them living long, finding a good husband in this culture. You've got to start young. 
I know my daughter's 72, but you've got to start young. I say, Lord, let your name be glorified in their life. Because I know they could live, they could live to 120. They could have a big family and a big house. Drive the best car and have the best degree. But if they have not brought glory to God by the grace of God, their life is empty. And I've failed as a dad. Pray for your families like this. Pray that your wife and your children and your husband would bring glory to God above all else. Because this is passing away. But the reward of the Father stands forever. Pray that this church, Seven Mile Road, brings glory to God. And when I say this, I know this is already happening. We just brought in our view and keep praying, keep being sanctified, and allow God's grace to shape us. That the name of Seven Mile Road is not exalted. Who cares about the? I love Seven Mile Road, but who cares about the name of Seven Mile Road when it comes down to it? We're not going to have a banner in heaven, I hate to tell you. What we want to care about is that a man's not exalted, a name's not exalted, but the name of Christ is exalted. That God is glorified in us as a community. That when people see us, they see Jesus. That God will be glorified, that he would be hallowed. That he'd be glorified in our cities. And you guys know that sports worship bothers me. (laughs) I... Love the Celtics. I'm a Boston guy for life. But we've taken it too far. I wanted to puke everywhere when everyone was celebrating the Stanley Cup. Everywhere. I wanted to get angry. Sackcloth and ashes and just rush, run the streets. But I said, I can't do that anymore. Because everyone was giving their glory to this cup. I mean, people wanted to touch it. It was like a golden calf. I touched it. So, given, I like competition, guys. It's not sin to watch the Bruins and the Red Sox. And I'm not saying that. But you guys know there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And you've got to preach like this in Boston because we love our sports. Best sports city and the meanest city. So if you don't preach on aggressive behavior and the idolatry of sports, you ain't preaching. <laughs> So pray that God is glorified in our cities. How about that same glory that in time and energy and finance that is given to that stuff is given to the house of the Lord, is given to glorifying the name of God, is given to preaching the gospel and loving people and serving people and laying down our life. We would see 10 churches planted every six months for the glory of God. That is what he has called to us, that cities might glorify his name, that towns might glorify the name of Jesus. That's what heaven's going to be all about, us just glorifying the name of God, praising the name of Jesus. And it's going to be great. Pray that his name is glorified in all the earth. Man, there's nothing I hope for by the grace of God more than multitudes and multitudes of people coming to worship and glorify his name of every nation tongue people this is big so we got to pray for that also and the rest of the petitions just support that and pursue that lord let your kingdom come that your name 
is glorified. Lord, let your will be done that your name is glorified. Give me my daily bread that I have the strength to glorify your name. Forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors. Because no man can glorify the name of God if he hasn't been forgiven and has not forgiven. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil that I might not dishonor the name of God. Because my life, my longing, our prayers, by the grace of God, need to be directed towards hallowing the name of our Father. If we are a community who prays for God's glory, we will be a community who experiences joy and happiness and fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. We will be filled We will come to know God more. So I just want to encourage you. Many of us are praying for the glory of God. Keep doing that. And keep allowing that to be the center of your prayer life. Be careful when you pray in public. I don't want you to be paranoid about praying in public. But think it through. And if you find yourself ready to try to win a golden globe for your prayer, don't pray. I'd rather say no to the invitation to pray in public. Then pray a prayer that praises man. That was kind of like Peter Piper. I don't know where that came from. It was like 15 Ps in one sentence. Three. Those who are afraid to pray in front of people, be encouraged. God's not looking for these religious long prayers. How can you impress God? How? I know I can't. I got kicked out of Link Classical, the city of sin, baby. There's no way with my Boston accent and my improper talking that I can impress God with my prayers. And even if you have 15 degrees, you can't impress God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. What he's looking for is this. He's looking for you to pray for his glory, pray to know him, pray to share him, pray that others would know him for his glory. He's not concerned with the length of our prayer. He's concerned with the heart of our prayer. So I just encourage you, Seven Mile Road today. And I pray that we become a church and that we are a church in doing by God's grace so many of this already. That we pray that the name of the Lord is glorified. That his kingdom comes and his will is done in us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your grace. That you still are teaching us. And you're going to get us there. And you have gotten us there. But we want to know you and make you known above all, Father. Please make that true in us. Amen.